It was, uh, it was 2007. It was Carolina-Clemson game, finishing up the year. I was in college, and I'll never forget, I was sitting down on the, the sideline next to the uh, Carolina uh, band in that area, right next to the big flagpole at williams Bryce Stadium. Clemson had driven the length of the field, and they were about to kick a field goal. Now, here's the thing. If they made that field goal, they would win the game. I'll never forget in that moment, I was just going back and forth. I, had, I was just so nervous. I didn't know what to do. And I, I, I sat down on my knees on the side of the stadium. And I'll never forget, I could not look to my left and actually see it take place. So I had to look down so I could just kind of see it in my peripheral vision. And I'm sitting there just going back and forth because I knew we were about to lose the game. And so I'm sitting there just going. And then all of a sudden, the Clemson kicker kicks the field goal. Game over. They win. In that moment, I found myself on my knees at williams Bryce Stadium, about to throw up. Because I had given that much effort to a team that more often fails you than anything else. But I realized something in that moment, because I walked away and I was so bothered. I mean, I was so bothered because... I couldn't imagine that, that I gave so much to something that in, in truth is, is worthless. And I walked away from that stadium and I realized something. That, that I was not just excited about a team, but that I was worshiping them. And I looked back and when I was in high school. And I thought about how the first thing I wanted to do every day was grab the state newspaper. And read the article about how South Carolina was doing in practice so I could convince myself why they were going to be undefeated that year. And I'd get on Gamecock Central. I'd read all the articles. And I realized in that one moment that I was giving more to that team than I ever have given God. See, on the front of your bulletin, There's a question. It says fan or follower. And the question I want to pose today is that same one. Because all I was for that football team was a fan. See, the definition of a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. All I was doing was admiring that team. I was giving all I thought I could. But the truth of the matter is nothing I could ever yell, nothing I could ever say. Even if you call into the radio, no matter what I ever could do, I was never going to make that team win or lose a football game. See, I thought that I was on that team. I thought that I was a part of it, and we can all relate. But the truth of the matter is, all I was was just a fan. And at the end of the day, a fan means jack squat. But what God wants from us is for us to be authentic followers. Because the truth of the matter is, is that there are fans sitting here today. We are fans of God. You know what? We put on our Facebook that we are Christian. But on the rest of our profile, nothing gives any example that we live for Christ. Yes, we use names like God. We use names like Jesus. We say things that would make people think that, yes, we are good church-going people. But when it is all said and done, that does not matter because all we are doing is setting ourselves up for being a fan, an an enthusiastic admirer of God. 
And see, what scares me is when we look in the Scripture, we see one thing in Exodus 20, that the Bible tells us that there should be no other gods before our God. No time, no money, no nothing should be above our God. And the thing is, no matter how small, no matter how big, the truth of the matter is, when we devote our efforts, our time, our money, our skills to ourselves, then the truth of the matter is we have created an idol, a false god, and we are worshiping ourselves. And what scares me is this. And what scares me is this scripture. And if you don't write down anything else today, write down this. It's Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Listen to what Jesus says. He is talking about when it is all said and done, when we present ourselves before God, when we try to go before him and say, God, we have done some sort of good, and we're trying to prove to him why we should go into heaven. Listen to what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, that's a lot to live up to, because, I mean, we're looking at the best of the best as far as Christians are concerned. I mean, people who are prophesying, okay, they can tell you what's going to happen in the future. We we see people who who are exercising demons, who who are performing exorcisms. I mean, are able to cast out demons from other people. And then it goes on to say, do many other mighty works in your name. You know, I look at that and I think to myself, well, goodness, God, am I actually following you? You know, am I giving myself to you? Because the truth of the matter is the temptation for me is to create what I am doing here as a job and not a life. And I have to have gut checks each and every day. So I am no different than you, according to to what the scripture is saying about us. So it's telling me that there are pastors who come up and they do great things, that there are people who are going out and serving. They're doing great things. I mean, there are people who are going to their school and they're, they're doing nice things at school. They're, they're serving in different ministries here in Columbia. They're doing all these great things. But, God, you're telling me that if we do not truly follow you, that you will not act like you even know us on that day when we stand before you. So then the question I want to know is this. The answer I want to know is, is, is the answer to this question. How do I become a follower? How can I stand before God and he acknowledges me? How can I live my life to where I am glorifying him? How can I take that list of things that we wrote down earlier and put them and live them in a way where they are glorifying God? What do I need to do to become a follower of Christ? Jesus lays it out for us pretty plain and simple right here in Mark 8, 34 and 35. I want you, if you have your Bible, open that up, mark that down, because this is something that you all need to know. And this is where we're going to begin today as we look at this journey of how we become a follower of Christ. Jesus said, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, and the Gospels will save it. 
So the first thing we look at is Jesus is talking to this group of people and his disciples is that we see that we must deny ourselves. What does that mean? You know, it's not actually denying that I exist. It's not denying, you know, that I am an actual person. But it's denying the ownership that I tend to hold on to for what is Matthew Phillips. In other words, it's giving up my all so that Christ becomes my all. And then he is the one who directs me, who guides me, who shows me what I'm supposed to do. And too often in our life, as we've written down earlier, and as some of y'all have thought, we are holding on to things in our life. And the thing is, is what's so scary is when we continue to hold on to things, we will never fulfill. And we will never experience the fulfillment of God in our lives. That word deny is also used in the same passage. The same, the same word in this passage is also used in the same passage in Luke when Peter denied Christ. Many of you are probably familiar with that story. Jesus got arrested and, and Peter, who earlier in that passage, he, you know, if you, for those of you who uh, have read, he was up there um, telling people, um, he was telling Jesus that, you know, God, I will always love you. He's up there like talking a big game up to Jesus like, yeah, I'll, I'll never let you die. I love you. You know, you're the best. And he's telling him how, how great he is and all that stuff. And, and Jesus looked at him. He said, one, he said, get behind me, Satan. And then he told him, he said, you're going to deny me. Three times. And Peter's like, no, I'll never do that. I'll never deny you. Listen to what happened as they're sitting outside the courtyard as Jesus was taken. Said a servant girl was out there and saw him and told him, said, are you one of them? He looked at her. He looked at her. He said, woman, I don't know you. I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. He said, I don't know him. A little later, someone else came by. Kind of looked at Peter and said, well, you know, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one of those 12 disciples. And Peter looked at him and said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. Later, a person came up to Peter and, and said, surely you are a Galilean. Surely you are one of them. And Peter, and the, the text tells us that, that Peter was so adamant against being a follower of Christ in this moment and, 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 and so against acknowledging that he knew Jesus that he swore at the guy. And told him that he did not know who Jesus was. Now, what's interesting is, is the scripture is telling us that we are supposed to have that same attitude, but we are supposed to have that same attitude about ourselves. To be so adamantly against my wants, my needs, my desires, that I just absolutely do not want to have anything to do with Matthew Phillips. I want to have everything to do with Christ living within me. Another way to look at just the viciousness of how we're supposed to be in this passage, as far as denial is concerned, I think a great example is probably one of the, the most vicious creatures ever created. Middle school girls. <laughs> I, I'm getting like some reactions from the students. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, how you come to church and you're all nice and whatever, la, la, la. And you are telling someone, your friends, your buddies, then you go back to school and you don't even act like you came to this church. You don't even act like you know Jesus. And you're sitting there and you're like, OK, that girl's wearing a different shirt. She is ugly. You know, and so she just walks away. And so they just have this like tension all the time. Y'all know what I'm talking about. A lot of you are middle school girls. And so we uh, I'm not. OK, just kidding. But um. 
All right. So anyway, so we 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 need to look at how that is the type of viciousness. Truthfully, that's the type of viciousness we are supposed to have with ourselves. And we should want Christ to come and live within us. And so the truth of the matter is we need to allow Christ to have ownership of our life. And for us to understand that, if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 6. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. And so uh, what we need to do is look there, and this summarizes it up. I truly believe this summarizes it up. So I'll start reading. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we, too, might walk in newness of life. So we see the hope there that when we give up of ourselves, we're starting to see the hope that comes with it. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like this. Now, here's the turning point. This is where we need to really focus right here. Verses 6 through 11 says this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So we realize that there, there's that act of denial. It's starting to take place. And, and that's what we were to have. And so when we die to ourself, we are now seeing that Christ comes and starts to live within us. And it says so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So we see the hope is that Christ has already overcome death. And that is who we want to follow and live within us. And it says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. So when we give our life to Christ, guess what? The dominion, the power of sin is no longer over us because God has conquered it. It says once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So to summarize that up, it is saying we must die because God died and he conquered death. Only way we can have the conquering of death within us is for ourselves to just totally step back and allow God to come move within us, transform us. And we do so by following him. For see, here's the thing. No matter how good you think you are, you yourself can never get a visa that will ever allow you into the gates of heaven. On your own, you can never do enough good. You can never do enough uh, of, of any type of service work that is ever going to get you into heaven. And see, the thing is this. If we don't deny ourselves, if we don't take up our cross... What we live in is we live in denial of truth. And the only death we experience is a spiritual suicide. We live a life that is no different eternally than the likes of Hitler, bin Laden, and the guy James Holmes that we read so much about this past weekend. Yes, it's it's extreme. It's extreme to think, it's extreme to say, but the truth of the matter is, it's true. 
No, we live a spiritual suicide if we don't follow Christ. How do we know this? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Later in Romans, we read that there is no one righteous, no, not one. So the truth is, whether it be a theft of a pack of gum or an act of terror, we all fall short of God's glory. And we are in desperate need of a savior. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. So the only way to have life is to lose our life so that Christ can be the life that lives within us. And when we follow Christ, we rid ourselves from the pain that we once talked about, the the spiritual suicide. And when we do that, when we rid ourselves from that pain, we follow Christ, we understand two very important facts. The first is this, that Christ is life. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Paul tells us in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we see that the only way we can experience true life is a life with Christ and that Christ is our life. But also we realize that when we give our life to Christ, that Christ becomes and he is our identity. Ephesians 5 verses 8 through 12 say this, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases God. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Our only hope is Christ. And the only way to follow is we see, one, that we are to deny ownership of ourselves. But the next call is this. It's a call to death. God calls us to death. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you were living in this time period, you would uh, have a great understanding of this passage. When Jesus said, take up your cross, this was something that was not taken lightly by the locals. Because in that time period, what you need to understand is that the Jewish nation was controlled by Roman rule. So the Romans had all control of uh, Israel and they had control of the people and everything. They came in, they took over. So what would happen during this time period is that there would be Jewish citizens that would come together to try to uh, bring a revolt against the Romans. 
Sometimes they would get word out to where they would have about 2,000 men. Now, what would happen is what we know is that the Roman army was so powerful that these men, that was just like a play fight with them. And so they would go and they would try to overthrow the Roman army. The Roman soldiers would just take them very easily. And what they would do is outside the city walls, they would line them up and they would have crucifixions all outside the city walls of Jerusalem. It wouldn't be uncommon for you to look outside and see 2000 men and women, children at one time being crucified. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, these people listened. Because he's talking about crucifixion. He's telling us to take on that. Are you crazy? But he knew that it is only at that moment that we will truly begin to live. If you read the gospel story, you see that there is a person, uh, Simon of Cyrene. He was just passing through. I couldn't imagine just passing through. And then what happened was these soldiers or these people came up to him and and they told him uh, as he was passing by, they said, you know, take up, help Jesus carry this cross. So at this point, we see that Jesus had been brutally beaten. He is just holding on to this, probably this beam that's about 75 to 125 pounds. And he has no strength left. So this guy is passing through. They pick him out and they say, hey, you need to help him carry his cross to be crucified. I mean, don't you think in that moment, I mean, you would be having second thoughts. One, I'd be like, I don't want to get this guy's blood on me. I mean, this thing's pretty heavy. I think of every excuse. Now, what's interesting in this passage is that the scripture said, and they compelled a passerby. Now, that word compelled in the Greek, it's a verb meaning press into public service, compel to go. What you need to realize is that Simon was given a choice. Now, we don't know how much of a choice he was given, but we know that he was given a choice. In other words, they pressured him to do that. But he still could have withdrawn. I look at Simon, I see that he's no different than us. Because the truth of the matter is many of us come in and out of these doors each and every week. Many of us pass through Bible studies. Many of us just pass through many different things where we hear the name of Christ. And the thing is, is in those moments we might hear different things. We might participate in worship. But the truth of the matter is we're not listening. We're not truly taking it in. And we've not really given our whole life to Christ. It may even be today that God is speaking to you and he is compelling you to take up that cross. And to truly follow him. But what did Simon do? He took up the cross. He followed Christ. And Simon helped continue the plan of salvation By fulfilling the prophecy that was Christ's death and resurrection so that we could have life. So how do I follow? How do I follow? Deny ownership of self. A call to death. But I think that this scripture summarizes it up. John 3.30 says, he must become greater. And I must become less. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me.
Come after me. This phrase here in the uh, in the Greek is in the continuous present tense. What it means is to do it daily. That we are to come after God daily. That we are to follow Christ daily. That we are to deny ourselves daily. That we are to die to self daily. And I think it summarizes the one word that I truly believe can summarize the Christian faith and what we must do to continue to follow after God. And that is the word that we use each and every day, no matter what it may be. That is perseverance. The scripture tells us in James that when perseverance finishes its course, we become mature and complete, lacking in nothing. But James then goes on to say, but if you lack anything, ask God who will give you wisdom from above and he will help get you through your life. See, our goal is heaven. Our goal is Christ. And if there is any word that I want you to hear today, it is the word Jesus Because all of Scripture is summarized by the name of Jesus. The Bible tells us that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that. Who is Lord? Not that I am Lord. Not that Will is Lord. Not that Jackie is Lord. But that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if we are living our life for anyone but Jesus, we are living a hopeless life, a worthless life. And we will never understand the fulfillment of a relationship and the hope and love and joy that comes through the one and only Jesus Christ. I say that with great passion because I believe it. Because there are people dying each and every day and they need love. Whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So daily Deny ownership of yourself. Daily take up that cross and die. And if you do, I will tell you this. You will understand what it means to follow Christ. So let me leave you with this question. What are you willing to lose? What are you ready to stop idolizing? And let me be really frank with you right here. Who? Is your God? Who is your God? Because only you know who you are really worshiping. So the call is Christ. The call is now. Give it up so that you can truly live today.